Hi, I'm Bianca Winata Putri, and welcome to Talking Contemporary. Here, we believe in the power of stories to share knowledge, change lives, and the world around us. Talking Contemporary features conversations with artists and creatives from Southeast Asia and beyond, as they share about what it means to make art in this time and the challenges and encounters along the way. For this episode, I invited my good friend, artist, and filmmaker, Layla Stevens. Layla is an Australian Balinese artist who works within moving image and photography. Her practice is informed by ongoing concerns around gesture, ritual, spatial encounters, and transculturation. Layla's video works shift and blur the boundaries between documentary and speculative fiction, and she focuses particularly on Bali's shared histories with Australia, as well as the island's changing landscape. In this conversation, we spoke about unwritten histories, Leila's relationship and research into her Balinese heritage, having grown up in Australia, and the power of image-making and storytelling in contemporary society today. Hi, Leila. How are you? Hi, Bianca. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining our podcast. It's been a long while. I think I sent you an invite mm-hmm. maybe sometime last year. So I'm yes. really excited we finally get to do this. Um, look, you know, we've spoken a lot and we've shared a lot of stories. Um, but I would love for us to start our conversation by you maybe telling us a bit about you. Tell us your story from the very beginning. Okay. Um, well, I think, yeah, I was sort of saying to you, before that, um, you know, my sort of childhood or background really bleeds into how I'm working now as an artist. So it was very much between uh, two countries. Um, so I, I grew up between uh, the Sancho Coast, which is in Queensland, Australia, and and Bali. Um, but I did most of my schooling and education in Australia. So that was sort of uh, my background there. Um, and you were asking earlier how I, when did I start being an artist? Um, it's sort of hard to pinpoint, but, um, I think like as a teenager, like photography was a really big thing. Um, and probably was as a medium, like my entry point into art making, um, so I had, I remember I got given this 35 mil camera as a teenager and I would lug it around everywhere. <laughs> um, but this is, you know, and it was like back when you could develop a roll of film quite easily in Australia and you're like your local pharmacy. Um, yeah. And I think that was like analog film and you know that the romance of the dark room and processing film and developing those images was really I think quite formative for how I started making art but I like just thinking back to that process it is like I feel like um yeah it kind of bleeds into how I think about making now like it's like it's such a kind of process around control like you have to be very controlled around um you know like your chemistry and your developing times and 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 things like that but at the same time it's such a medium of chance 
and and kind of magic like you don't really know what you've shot and developed it and there's something about being able to record things um at a certain point in time and it for only to be revealed later that I think I really like even though I don't do photography anymore well, I mean, you do still create images through your work now as a filmmaker, artist, and storyteller, which I guess have always been seeded since your 35 mil days. Many of your video works tell a story or narrative of plays, especially in Bali, or I guess even like the in-between spaces, you know, between Bali and Australia. Um, could you share more about this? It really came about through the research and the work I was doing around um, 1965 histories in Bali mm. and that's when I – but it was actually, to go back further, it was actually more just this moment um, of, you know, I'd started a, um, a doctoral research project, I think it was in uh, 2015, and I had this thing where I actually didn't know what I was doing at all. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, like I, any I, other PhD candidate. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> I had gotten into the program, sure, and I had a scholarship even, which was amazing. Um, but I actually didn't know what the project was and I wasn't even actually thinking about Bali. I had sort of another idea in mind. but. Um, I was visiting Bali and um, I think I just started to look into or be sort of interested in like where I grew up in Bali, which is, is Kuta and how, you know, it's got this sort of really, um, I would say this kind of really ambivalent position as this tourist town, you know, um, most, a lot of Australians when they hear um when they hear the reference to Kuta, they often say, oh, that's not the real Bali, which I find that so fascinating. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? as in because, because it's so touristy. Because it's over-touristed and, mm. you know, it's like, um, it's also, I think, to go sort of like kind of go a bit deeper, it doesn't look like the Bali they have in their head, you know, which is like the beautiful, pristine white sand beaches and the coconut trees and and the and the rice fields right like so I think it kind of started the project sort of started looking into um the ways that this sort of imagined imagery of Bali was sitting alongside the actual experience of Bali in the south now and really looking at these sort of topologies of tourism um and how they were sort of operating um, sometimes, um, you know, against these kind of imaginaries and what was really happening there. Um, and then alongside that, I was really kind of thinking, you know, like my, I started to sort of hear stories from family about 1965 and especially, um, you know, there was this sort of one site in particular that, um, it was sort of revealed to me that there was a mass grave from 65 there um, and I'm not sure for the purposes of this part, I'm just realising we're actually recording a podcast and maybe we need to give background information. But um, 
it's such a big topic. I, I don't know if we we go into it now, but you know, for those maybe unfamiliar with this history, it's a it's referring to a specific period in Indonesia's history where um, there was state led persecution and killings of um, of anyone associated with the Communist Party at the time, the PKI. Uh, and it's still this sort of really ongoing and unresolved history um, that has never had any kind of, um, what would you say, like never been sort of publicly acknowledged. (laughs) Yeah, it hasn't been addressed, and it's definitely not in the history books. It's actually very interesting and important that you raise this because the stories related to 1965 tragedy in Indonesia are being shared by a lot of writers, artists, researchers, but mainly outside of Indonesia, you know? I think that these conversations, it's hard still to have them. Yeah, so that was, you know, I think I was making these connections um, between these tourist topologies and tourist histories in, in specifically in South Bali um, and these kind of um, sort of hidden histories of place and, and how they had been made absented, you know, these these sites of mass graves are, are very, um, you only know about them through kind of rumours or, or stories, um, but there's nothing on the surface that kind of um, shows where they are. So, yeah, that was really how I, I think that was like the first kind of project that I really started to think about, okay, making a project in Bali and responding to Bali as a place. Um, yeah, that's. I would say that's where it started from. Yeah, and that's amazing. That starts from a personal question and curiosity that led you to all these other works as well and led you to this path. And I, I was really intrigued by your saying of, you know, the real Bali, because I think that mm-hmm. also implies this kind of desire for this, you know, paradise that is the paddy fields and the beautiful mm-hmm. white sand beaches so it's the desire to be there to know that there is that side of Bali that is kind of almost like untouched um, mm-hmm. and that is something that is I guess very attached to tourism in a way especially looking at Kuta but also maybe developed over years and years of this image of Bali as paradise and I, I know you talked about this or kind of looked into this um in relation to surfing culture mm. um so yeah I wonder if you could share a little bit about this idea of paradise and surfing culture because I think that's a very interesting intersection between Bali and and Australia that you explore yeah yeah yeah, yeah I mean so this was kind of the uh the heart of where um, my research was placed was like thinking, making this kind of connection um, between two histories that appear very disparate. So one was, um, you know, 1965 histories and, the, and how we can recuperate or find these traces within the landscape today in Bali. And then the other one, one was actually thinking um, through um, early surfer tourism in the 70s in South Bali. Um, and I was really interested in this idea of counterpoint histories, so things that appear um, maybe unconnected, but actually when you start thinking them alongside of each other, reveal quite a lot. 
Um, so one way was to think about, okay, actually when surfers came in the early 70s in Bali, um, you know, that was actually really not long after the massacres happened mm. and all this sort of kind of um, really recent trauma from 1965. Um, but the imagery that comes out of this period, the photographs, there's a, there's a film that I responded to quite a lot called Morning of the Earth that was shot in 1971. Um, there's no trace of that history at all. You know, you have a very, very different um, perspective and image of Bali. So I started thinking about how surfer tourism sort of erased um, previous histories or kind of sanitized these landscapes. Um, and I think that was still ongoing for many years, like that, you know, the sort of early surfer tourism really became um, kind of the dominant sort of um, kind of story of, of South Bali's tourism, you could say, and had such a huge impact in South Bali um, in the way that, yeah, so like in the way that those beaches became hugely desirable, right? Like all of a sudden these things yeah. that didn't, you know, things like white sand beaches that were very predominant on the south and um, west coast of Bali was more desirable than black sand, which is probably more, you know, common in the rest of Bali. Or things like surf breaks that are, would have been places of danger to keep away from were actually all of a sudden really like, you know, that's where the tourists wanted to be. So it really sort of surf, surfing really changed the South in many ways. Yeah. And you, would you say it also changed the landscape? Because I think you mentioned in our conversations earlier about now everybody wants a beachfront villa. Yes. Everybody yes. wants to go to the beaches. <laughs> and, you know, it, used, it, it wasn't that way in terms of the center of Bali or I guess for locals used to be kind of no, more to no. the mountains yeah yeah so like the the sort of points of power in Bali have always traditionally been aligned to where fertile land is right um mm. where you can grow things and yeah. also where sacred points are on the land so um you know like Gurung Agung or you know up mm. towards the mountains um like that's where the centers of power were traditionally aligned um and the beach was more like the sort of place where um, you know, it's like used in a really specific context and it still is, of course. It's where you throw the ashes from the dead out. It's where certain ceremonies, cleansing ceremonies happen. But it's not, um, you know, I would say until the event of tourism and surfing tours happen, the beach wasn't a place of, of leisure like it is now. Like, so it really changed the way that those landscapes um, were culturally understood in Bali. Yeah, absolutely. I think also now thinking about surfing, it's so common, like everyone surfs. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone who goes to Bali even tried surfing. There are all mm -hmm. these like kind of beginner lessons, uh, people who stay in Bali to surf. Um, you know, I hear all these stories through lockdown where, you know, people are like, working from Bali so they go in for a surf before they start their work <laughs> and it's um and we never really think about how that even I guess started um mm, and mm. how that have changed um I guess the landscape of Bali in terms of this want for mm, waves mm. and beaches and everybody's looking for um places to stay that have private beaches even even the concept of private beach I find 
is really fascinating. Know, you know, this, this know. Yeah. bunch of land that's just for whoever stays in that hotel. Um, yeah. Even though, like, you know, you can pretty much walk to the other side or something and enter other people's. Yeah, I just find that mm-hmm. really fascinating, that idea. I don't know if you ever looked into it. Um, the private, I mean, you know, I guess it's all part of the tourism package. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's problematic to say the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have this very powerful practice of making connections, or maybe more complicating the line between truth, history, and speculative fiction through your filmmaking. And whenever I experience or watch your video works, which usually has multiple channels or screens, I somehow feel both calm and uneasy. You know, like I'm following a story and trusting wherever it will take me. Well, thank you. That's so generous to hear as well <laughs> of your experience. But um, yeah, I think I think you know, as an image maker, you're always up against this kind of like not problem, but like you know, this sort of ongoing question of how much of the research do you put in and how much do you let it, um, you just sort of leave it up for the audience to sort of get there on their own. And, you know, I I do work with in a certain way with images. Like I'm very much, um, you know, I like to work with like the tropes of slow cinema and really sort of still and kind of um, very simple imagery. and I think most of that is this experience or this kind of idea of um, allowing this attention to be redirected of what's not in the frame. Um, mm. So you can have really simple imagery and things that actually might look really straightforward or not much going on at all. Um, but actually all the work and all the kind of um, – meaning is really latent there so it's sort of like allowing this sort of time to pass and for things to come to the surface and that just might mean like a longer shot or allowing people to sort of sit in the gallery for a longer time. I think in terms of process um, I would say my practice is really research-based so often it starts with this engagement with um a place and a narrative about a place and I'm really interested in archival histories or image histories about a place uh, and how they kind of get carried or sustained through um, official archives or collections and um, and stories. Um, but I'm also sort of really interested in like things that get left out of that official narrative. So um, the ways that certain narratives are made marginal within dominant histories. Um, yeah, so I would say a lot of how I work is really just to think through and connect, um, you know, images or stories or even fragments or anecdotes um, to create a kind of new historiography or a new way of thinking about that place. Yeah, thanks, Leila. Um, 
And, you know, I still have a million questions to ask you and we could go on for hours as usual. Um, but to end our conversation today, as with all of my interviews, I would ask my guests a series of rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Um, let's start with something easy. How did you start your day today? I woke up and we do a very uh, tight morning routine where we have to get our daughter to school by a certain time, mm -hmm. <laughs> which um, is contrary to her needs, which is she loves to have a big long play in the morning. So, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, this is the morning rush. Yeah, the morning rush. <laughs> <laughs> that was my morning. Yeah. All right. Next up, what is your favorite food? I was having, yeah, I was having difficulty with this one, but I would say a classic nasi champo bali. Oh, yeah. With like, you know, just a bit of rice, lots of like tempeh manis, a bit of some sort of vegetable. Yes, all the vegetables and the spice. spice. The, I don't yeah. know what they are, but they always like, they cook the vegetables in this yellow-ish Mm, pace mm. usually and yeah. they're like incredibly good yeah. some of them have coconut in it and they're extra yeah. good <laughs> so good yeah with lots of sambal yeah yes lots of sambal I'm obsessed next one which is one of my favorite questions these days what are you feeling hopeful for in the future I feel very hopeful witnessing this current generation of young artists actually especially in Australia and um, I think in the ways that, you know, artists now are so passionate and strong about, um, you know, reacting to the world around them and um, thinking critically about systemic, you know, injustices out there. But also like I would say alongside that having a lot of like warmth and solidarity and and generosity in their kind of thinking um, in a way that I think wasn't around so much when I was a young artist. Like it didn't, yeah, that's not so, wasn't so prevalent. So that, that kind of gives me hope. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, you know, I'm teaching this semester and hearing and learning from our younger generation of students has really given me hope too. I find their critical outlook and vision very inspiring. Um, okay, last but not least, what does art mean to you? I think art for me means, uh, it means being able to listen closely and and with criticality um, to what's around me and it really art for me is really just a way to be able to think through things and understand things as simple as that <laughs> that is an amazing answer thank you Leila I don't, you. you know that's the first one in the <laughs> podcast so far about art for you it's, for you is mm. listening and I think mm. um that really speaks also to your works and when we talk about sound and um, landscapes and image mm -hmm. making and um, your constant learning from your family, from the people you collaborate with, there's a lot of listening. And I think mm. that experience really speaks to your works and your story, but also something that we could all learn. We could all slow down and listen. 
You know the saying, a picture's worth a thousand words? This feels like that times a hundred with Layla's words. One of the most fascinating takeaways from this conversation was the power of image and filmmaking in uncovering and disrupting histories left hidden in our surroundings. Every place, every object, every being has a story in them. Sometimes all it takes is to listen closely and learn. You can find Layla online on Instagram at Layla Stevens and on her website, laylastevens.com. You can also find out more about the artist and her projects on Talking Contemporary Instagram at talking.contemporary and on our website, talkingcontemporary.com. If you have an artist or creative you'd like to hear from in our future episodes, please send an email to hello at talkingcontemporary.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next one.